Fun with Failure is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hi, welcome to Fun with Failure, where we laugh with and at you about your flaws, fears, and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Carrero. Let's have some fun. My guest today is Matt Santos, one of the founding members of the band Ra Ra Riot. The band originally formed around 2006 when they were all students at Syracuse University in New York. Now, 13 years later, they're releasing their fourth album. Actually, this will be the fifth. Their fifth album called Mm -hmm. Super Bloom and embarking on another global tour. They've worked with Death Cab for Cutie, Vampire Weekend, The Lumineers, and more. They've appeared on every late night show, Their music is featured in films and TV, and Honda actually created an entire commercial about seeing the band in concert. (laughs) Cha-ching! And if I sound especially excited today um, about their success, it's because Matt is my cousin. That's right. Hey, cuz. He's my baby cuz, cuz. And it's also because their origin story is as heartbreaking as it is inspiring. And we're going to get to that a little later on. But for right now, what's up, cuz? How's it going, cuz? It's good. To good. See ya. It's good to see you, too. Twice now on this tour. I know. That is such a treat. Yeah, I saw you a couple weeks ago in Portland, Maine. Mm-hmm. And um, now you're here in Charlotte. And this is your first time in Charlotte. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome to the CLT. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, good. Yeah, I've been following you, obviously, since the day you were born. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, yeah, it was, it was delightful. You were a wonderful baby. I loved you very much then and I still do. No problem. Uh, but I was also there for some of your first milestones. So the first time you guys came and played South by Southwest, Mm -hmm. because I was living in Austin, I went to the Rachel Ray showcases, which were great at Uh South by. Uh, She's a sweetheart. Yeah. She, she really, I mean, she fell in love with you guys pretty early on. It was great. Mm -hmm. And then I was also there for your first tattoo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was after one of the shows. Uh-huh. Still have it. Yes, you do. Down on what was that, 6th Street? Yeah. Some wild night. Yeah, we walked down. I remember like worrying too because I was just like, should I call his mom? Should I call my aunt? Like, does Colette need to know? Do, do I need permission? And then I'm thinking like, he just played South by He's like a rock star. I don't need to call his mom. They, well, yeah, Colette definitely did not need to know. <laughs> yeah, that. that's what I figured. I just figured, it, yeah, I ended up showing her by just coming home with a tank top on and letting her process her feelings. Yeah. Yes. And she's fine now. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm yeah. happy to report. Everything worked out great. Um, and then also I saw you, I saw the movie Booksmart a couple months ago with some friends, which is such a good movie. And I heard your song, Can You Tell, play in the background. And mm-hmm. I literally started yelling out in the movie theater, that's my cousin's band. That's my cousin's <laughs> band. That's my cousin's band. And my friends were like, are you having a stroke? Like <laughs> what is, what is happening? And I said, no, that's my cousin's band. And it's just so great. So I still get so tickled. I mean, it's been 13 years, but I still get so stoked and so, so tickled to hear your stuff. And that soundtrack is bonkers. Lizzo is on it, Discovery, Salt and Peppa, mm-hmm. LCD Sound System. So you're always in good company. So what is it like for you all this time? It's been 13 years. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it like for you? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's funny because 
we feel really lucky, obviously, to have been able to, you know, be doing this for so long. And that's something we try to never take for granted. Um, on the other hand, it's kind of fun, you know, we're doing this big tour right now with, um, with Third Eye Blind and Jimmy Eat World. And so on one hand, it's easy to, like, you know, put on our, like, you know, professional hats and just show up every day and do the job because, you know, at the end of the day, it is still a job. And we've been doing it long enough now. It's, like, second nature. But um, at the same time, yeah, it's you never want to take it for granted. You want to, like, stop and, and pinch yourself a lot because, you know, a lot of bands seem to have, like, a three four-year, you know, lifespan these days. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been fun for us to be doing it for so long. But it's it's also funny because the first, the first several years of the band, like the, the tagline was always, oh, you guys are a brand new young band. What's it like being a young band? What's it like being a college band? This must be so exciting. And then all of a sudden, one day the narrative was like, you guys have been doing this for so long. What's it like <laughs> being an old band, you know? And it was it just, just switched. Yeah, like so suddenly. Um, and it's really crazy, though, like a couple of years ago, we had our 10 year, actually last year, uh, we had our 10 year anniversary of the first record, which was kind of like a good opportunity to stop and look back and yeah. you know, reflect a little bit on like how long we've been doing things. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, you know, we've been doing a lot of reflecting the past couple of years. Milo, our guitar player, recently made a spreadsheet of every show that we've ever played. I wow. think it's, I forget how many there are, but you just like scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And I've been working on like. That's, by the way, that's such a baller nerd move. Oh, yeah. Milo is, and he's also in grad school right baller now. Baller nerd he? is basically a <laughs> great description of Milo. Yeah, he's a baller nerd. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's in grad school right now, right? Yeah, yeah. At um, s- small liberal arts place in somewhere in Connecticut. Uh, Yale? Yale? Yale. 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 I believe I have heard of yes. it. I believe he's, I have heard of it. He's studying at Yale and still playing in the band, so he's he's doing it all. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, but yeah, so he made that crazy spreadsheet, which is a very Milo undertaking. And then I've also been working on like a just like a general timeline of the band. Um, and so we sat down the other day and started like comparing, you know, our two timelines. And it was so funny because like so many crazy like discrete chapters of like the band's history in my mind when you look at it on paper like they happened all within like two months of like two like 2008 to 2011 it was like so compressed yeah and then since then we've gotten a lot slower as we've gotten you know older or more settled down or whatever um so yeah this time has been stretched and compressed in really weird ways but it's kind of funny to stop whenever we get the chance and like look back and like oh we're still somehow doing this and we're very lucky and very grateful yeah, and you still like each other. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is just so that's, great. That's the craziest thing of all, yeah. And we've been through so much together, and I think, you know, I was telling you, it was kind of interesting because none of us knew each other before the band started, which is kind of unusual. You know, we weren't like, you know, a group of best friends who were like, let's play music together. It was sort of like Milo pieced the band together from just acquaintances, the oh, friends of friends and things like that. So we all met at the first rehearsal and it was like, what's going to happen? And I was like, who the hell are these people? You know? Really? Yeah. I didn't, s- I didn't know that that's how you guys met. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. And we were so different too. Like we were cracking up recently because Rebecca, our violinist, she was, uh, you know, not to generalize anyone, but just, I was like an art student at the time, had like a chip on my shoulder. I was like straight edge and whatever. Rebecca was like a sorority girl from New Jersey, had an Audi on campus, and she was like, you know, like the cool violinist, whatever. 
And there was a story recently where she gave me a ride home from like an early rehearsal. And I remember getting out of the car and thinking, oh, that went well. Like, you know, two very different people finding common ground. But I found out like 12 years later that when I got out of the car, she thought I like hated her and was like surly, like, you know, but yeah, it was funny. We're all super different and somehow we made it work. Yeah, that's, it's wild to sort of think that you guys weren't even friends and started the band, but just came together and it worked. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the trick. Maybe you don't start a band with your friends. Uh, Yeah, I think honestly, I do think that's a big part of it because when you already like have so much in common, you just end up copying the stuff you like. So when you get thrown into a room with a bunch of different people, it's like, what? Like, where are you coming from? Like, what is this idea? You know, and then everyone puts their own stamp on it. it Were you um, judgmental about the other people's tastes in music? Like, I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I would guess now is that you have a super open mind about music and you'll kind of listen to anything and take whatever you like from whatever genre it is. And I don't know if this was the case back when you were younger, but when I was younger, I used to be such a snob, you know, like if it wasn't indie, if it wasn't on college radio, if it was, then I didn't want to listen to it. If, if it was pop music, it was just made me sick. It was uh-huh. just like, oh, it's so sweet. I'm going to get diabetes. It's gross. <laughs> and of course now I'm like, it's great. Uh-huh. So it's, all great. it's yeah. all great. So walk me through the experience of getting thrown into this band with totally different people with totally different musical styles. How did you figure out your sound? Um, yeah, so there was definitely a little bit of that. You know, I was like, I was 20 when the band started. So we were all around that age. And like I said, everyone, you know, you're in college, you're like, you know, trying to get your identity figured out and you're like protective of the, yeah. the cool stuff that you like Absolutely. that only you, only you know about or whatever. That's my band. Uh, yeah. Um, but generally everyone in the band we like overlapped all a little bit with like indie rock so that was like you know at least we had like some shared stuff and I think a big thing was like the 80s and 90s pop that we all grew up with was like sort of that was something we could all like um you know get together on whether you know whether you liked U2 for like their old punky stuff or their like or Beautiful Day or the weird 90s stuff but you know somewhere in there was like stuff that we're all familiar with um, but I think at the same time, I was like really curious too, because when I went to school, I went to art school cause you know, I had read all these like rock bios and I knew that all these cool bands like, you know, talking heads and clash and even the Beatles and, uh, Devo, all these like bands met at art schools. And I was like, Oh, that's where you go to meet the cool people. And that's where you go to start a band. But in art school, I just found a, a bunch of, uh, kind of bratty art school kids. And I was Ruh-roh. like, yeah, and I was just like, oh, God, like, this isn't what I what was expecting. I and it wasn't until I met all these other completely random people who I probably never would have met otherwise. I was like, oh, this is more of the college experience I was looking for, just totally different people, totally different ideas. Like, Wes and John really liked, uh, like, the band and, like, Fairport Convention, that kind of, like, old folky stuff that I had no idea about. But because I respected them so much as songwriters and musicians, I was like, oh, cool, like what's this about? Like, if they like it, it must be cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Rebecca early on, obviously being like well-versed in classical music, I was learning about different composers I didn't know about. So yeah, it was, it was kind of fun and exciting. Um, there's still, each of us have like our little pockets where 
you know, like I can't get anyone else to really get into jazz fusion, but that's okay. You <laughs> but know? you're going to keep trying. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep listening to it. <laughs> Damn um, it. So yeah, we still have like our discrete, you know, pockets of stuff, but yeah, I think, you know, we've just learned our roles and learned who's good at what and, you know, what a certain song needs. Does it need a little bit of your touch? Does it need a little bit of your touch, you know? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And thinking, going back to your early musical influences, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you once upon a time and probably still are a fan of Third Eye Blind, and that now is... now you're touring with them. Uh-huh. So wasn't there weren't they like one of your favorite bands growing up? Yeah, they were actually probably like one of my first favorite bands, if not my first favorite band. Um, and I'd grown up, you know, listening to whatever cassettes my parents had lying around. But oh, I long think... live cassettes. Uh huh. Oh yeah, one of my. Never forget I my dad's little zip-up oh, so pouch good. with all the cassettes. Yeah, there. I still miss my cassingles. Cassingles, yes. <laughs> so Just good. flip them back and forth. Back and forth, over and over again. Uh, but I think it was probably like seventh or eighth grade, and I think the Third Eye Blind, their first album, that cassette was like the first cassette that like I ever had, like that I ever yeah. bought or owned. Yep. That was like my band. Um, it was around the same time, like. 311, mm-hmm. Eve 6, those bands, but particularly Third Eye Blind and 311 were like my two favorites. Um, and that was like the first album sort of of like, uh, I guess my generation for lack of a better word that like really resonated with me and like listened to like over and over and over again. Knew every word to every song. And yeah, uh, went to see them in like 2000 at the old, uh, at Tweeter Center, formerly Great Woods. Yes. Um, shout out to Massachusetts. Shout out Massachusetts. Um, yeah, so yeah, if you could go back to eighth grade and tell eighth grade Matt that, you know, who's like pouring over the liner notes of that first record, be like, oh, in 20, I don't know how many years, 20 or yeah. some odd years, actually 20, yeah, about 20 years, 20, 21 years from now, you're going to be like, you know, hanging out with Stephen Jenkins and chatting with rad backstage you know um you're gonna be on tour. like then i didn't even play an instrument i had yeah. never like touched an instrument so it would have been uh a little hard to believe but you know it's funny how things work out sometimes but yeah it's definitely a, like a pinch yourself kind of thing on a daily basis for me on this tour that's so great mm-hmm. um yeah and i don't know if you remember but i used to book bands in college that's right yeah, yeah so i got i got you know we booked 311 the roots um, all sorts of just really incredible. And I remember when 311 came, this little liberal arts school in um, Worcester, Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. The accents are going to start coming out hard. Um, yeah, I had to go get them because the, they were about to perform. And so I had to like go into their tour bus and like, you know, knock on the tour bus. And they opened up and had to like walk up the stairs and. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm still high. Yeah, I was just gonna say from the contact high. Surprise! You could find them of through. the wheat. I couldn't even. Yeah, I could barely see through the back of the bus, and it was just like, "Hey guys, it's time." Oh, wow. actually, no. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Yeah, there were some. There were some fun, fun moments back then. But yeah, that was one of them. I was just like, I still, I can still remember how 311 smells. That's cool. Yeah. I won't take up too much of the time of the podcast asking you questions about <laughs> 311 and what each member is like, and, but maybe after. Yeah, G11 special sauce. I have another, I have a good story about that, but I'll, t- oh, yeah. I'll tell you that one off the air because I don't think they weren't totally all there at the time, mm-hmm. but it was, it was still a fun show. So yeah, so Third Eye Blind. So you're opening for Third Eye Blind 
um, what was it like to meet Stephen the first time, right? So this is, this is someone that you grew up listening to. You hadn't even started playing instruments by the time that you were listening to them. All of a sudden now you're opening for them. I imagine with some on some tours you open for a band and you might not even meet them mm-hmm. or you might not even get a chance to interact. They just kind of do their thing. So what has it been like with him? Have you had a chance to meet and what was it like meeting him the first time? Yeah, so you're definitely right. Yeah, a lot of these tours, you never know. You know, every band has their own way of working. Some I've heard stories of, you know, other bands getting to open for, like, their favorite bands, and they'll tour for, like, five weeks and literally never meet the band, you know. Um, so, you know, I went into the tour. I was just excited to, you know, be associated with the tour and to be able to see 37, I think, uh, free Third Eye Blind concerts yeah. over the course of a couple months. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I sort of went into it with those expectations. I was like, okay, like, don't get excited. You know, like they say, never meet, you know, people that you look up to or whatever. So I tried to really temper my expectations. Um, but also it was funny when the tour was like pitched to us, it was, we had to retool a lot of things. We had to push the release of our album back. We had to scrap an entire, uh, headlining tour that we had booked. We had to change all this stuff around kind of quickly to to make this tour work so it was kind of stressful and we were like oh you know what should we do what should we do we should probably do this tour and then our manager brian was like you know third eye blind asked for you guys specifically steven's a big fan and we're like okay that's really nice to say but obviously that's not true they've probably never heard of us their manager is probably like we need someone you know get can one of your bands do it so you kinda, are you are a jaded rock star. I love it. Yeah, totally. totally. I'm <laughs> like, like they, they don't care. Everyone about hates us. us. Yeah, no one even give, likes who us. Give a crap about our band. So I kind of was like, okay, whatever. That's nice of you to say. Thanks, whatever. Um, but sure enough, we showed up the first day of the tour, and you know, granted, you usually give like a week buffer time before you start meeting people because yeah, the first sure. few nights are chaotic. Just getting into whatever. it. Um, but we were at the first venue, the Greek in L.A. for about you know, probably an hour getting set up and he walked right up to us and was like, hey, I'm Steven and shook his hand and I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool, you know, I mean, and it's the classic thing too. On one hand, it's like once you meet someone, you see him around the catering tent enough times, it becomes sort of like, you know, kind of mundane almost, just like a coworker. Yeah. So like I'll see him like, oh, hey, Steven, you know, uh, you know, how was soundcheck, whatever. Um, but then at the same time, I'm just like, oh my God, like, you know, this guy sold like millions and millions of records, you know, I used to like have pictures of him in my room and stuff. So it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, but yeah, it was really nice. And we've been lucky too, because a a few other times in our career, we've opened for bands that we were huge fans of, including like Death Cab Cutie, like you mentioned, uh, The Shins, uh, Postal Service, which still Ben Gibbard. But, um, in all those instances, you know, the bands were incredibly friendly and introduced themselves to us like immediately. And, yeah. and even like, you know, and so I think Stephen, this is all to come back to say that I think, um, you know, our manager wasn't lying to us. Stephen is actually a fan and he's made that very clear and he w- watches our set often, which is, wow, which is that's really a, cool. That's too. a big deal. Yeah. Cause it's one thing to be like, Oh, you guys are great. I love you. And then, you know, you watch a couple of songs and then that's it for the rest of the tour. But he's he's watched our set quite a few times, and that's that's really uh, touching. So yeah, that's the basically that's like the ultimate form of flattery. Mm-hmm. Not only come tour with me, and then he sits through your show, yeah. your set multiple times. Yeah, because even if he never introduced himself, but we yeah. saw him like watching us, that would have been you know that's so enough. cool. So yeah, that's cool. awesome. Do you get nervous? Do you ever get nervous when you go out on stage? Not really anymore, like at all. Which is which is. 
on one hand nice, but again, on the other hand, you don't want to get too comfortable ever and right, yeah. start, you know, phoning it in. But at least there's not as much stage fright, but we we used to get it like crazy, like crazy, crazy, particularly in those TV shows you mentioned. Yeah, those are so always list, be list a couple other ones that you've done. Uh, well, we've done, we did Conan. Conan was the first one we did, um, which was another, probably the thing I was like maybe most excited about. I in remember. Our I watched Conan every night. Yeah, you love I Conan. I love me some Conan. Um, <laughs> we did Letterman three times. We did Fallon. We did Kimmel. Um, Ferguson. We, yeah, we've done them all. Um, so, yeah. So, and those were early those on. So that must've been, yeah, that must've mm-hmm. been nerve wracking. What did you do to kind of calm your nerves down? Or did you just kind of ride it out and put it in the music? Yeah, there's really nothing you can do. Like, this is kind of gross, but the same thing happened to, I remember our first headlining show in London we ever played. We went over to London, like kind of right when we were getting buzzy. So there was like a big showcase show at this cool club in London and there's like a few I think I forget it was probably in my mind it was probably it was like thousands of people it was probably like you know 300 people but it was like packed and we were like losing our minds before that show but uh, basically there's nothing you can do except take many trips to the bathroom because <laughs> that's what we were I doing I was wondering where the gross part was yeah, going in yeah it was like we were just like lined up in the hallway just nervously taking uh, unsatisfying <laughs> trips to the bathroom over and over and just waiting. And it's particularly surreal because it's one thing to be waiting to go on stage at like a live show, which is a little more normal of the situation. But I remember yeah. when we were at Conan, it was like, you know, being backstage at a TV show is like an insane mix of like people behind the scenes. It's like people in crazy costumes and stuff. And like oh, yeah, on that episode... chaotic running around. Yeah, there's all kinds of... It's like you're in someone's like weird dream of you know it's like a fever dream yeah and then this was one of the shows where they had like an animal handler come out so Conan <gasps> could like touch so there was oh my like, god that's so great we'd open our like we're like how much time until we go on when sound check like we have to be ready and then we'd open the door and there was like a huge llama <laughs> in the hallway there's like all these animals around so we were like pacing but then there was like yeah birds of prey and so, I don't know, it was just very surreal and then you know I think in that case, we didn't meet or see Conan in person until we got shoved out on stage and you got 30 seconds until we come back and he's just like sitting right there and all the lights are on and then it's like, you know. His big, beautiful, pale face oh just God, staring yeah. right at you. But also to bring it back to Massachusetts, you'd appreciate this. We I did get to watch him do his... um like his like, you know, run through all the jokes in yeah. the daytime, which yep. is really fascinating to see you know, a comedian of his brilliance, like tweaking jokes and going That's through cool. stuff. But he did the, the read through in a Red Sox jacket and uh, his hair it. wasn't completely um, whatever. Quaffed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quaffed. It, it was sort of like, you know, just chill cone. He had a little stubble and he was like reading the jokes and kind of like. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those, those are quite scary. But yeah, now, nowadays it's just business as usual. The crowd is just like an entity. Um, it must be fun to be playing some of your new songs. I mean, that must be kind of exciting. Yeah. To, you know, because you're sort of showcasing your brand new babies to mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. You've been working on it for a while, and now you get to play. So that has to sort of add an element of excitement to the shows. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think the crowd can, like, pick up on that a little yeah. bit. Um, and yeah, we're certainly excited. And this is, like, our first tour in, uh, like, two, two and a half years, which is insane. So yeah. we're, like, just even more excited than usual to be playing. And yeah, these opening tours are fun, too, because you have a, more of an objective. When you're doing, like, a headlining show, your objective is to, like, you know, 
play your songs and bathe in the, you know, whatever. Like, you know, in your the flow. Fa- yeah, like the people are there to see you already. So it's kind of like different expectations. But these shows are fun because you have more of like an objective. You're like, the room is like a third full. Let's assume nobody here knows who we are. They're here to see Jimmy or Third Eye Blind. So like, let's go out and like win yeah. some fans and like convert some people. So it's like fun to have sort of like a mission. Yeah, sort of like uh, Red Sox back in <laughs> like 90, before 90 through 2003, uh-huh. 86 through two, or 1919 through... Actually, yeah, if you want to put it all the way back, yeah. <laughs> we'll just go all the way back. Through 2004, before they won, you're like the underdog, you know, you kind of have to come out and go uh-huh. for it. Yep, maybe, uh, you know, deal with a couple of boos along the way, but it's all... It's all in the name of a greater good. <laughs> it always is. But no, no one's ever booed us. I can't. I can't imagine that they would. And if they did, I would beat them up. So well, you just call me. Someone did actually. We, we did get booed once at a. We were playing at a Polish festival. I don't know why, but we were like three quarters of the way through our set, and this like drunk woman came up to the stage, and she was like, "Play some polka, <laughs> boo!" And then she was booing us, and we we're like, "Sorry, lady. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you." Wow, she place. was not happy with yeah. you. Well, you I said mean, you told me at the Portland show, like a couple people climbed on your bus or like just yeah climbed dr- into your bus. Yeah, drunk people coming on the bus, stuff like that. Um, and then they didn't even—they actually thought you were Jimmy Eat World, yeah, right? After like minutes of <laughs> of uh, admonishing us for not wanting to drink Party with them and drink we're with like, them. This is our house. What are you doing? But uh, right, because you live on the bus, so it's like you guys are just yeah. like chilling out before the show, yeah. like grounding yourselves, yeah, and I'm like trying to find clean underwear, like. <laughs> And they're yeah. like, drink with us. Yeah, not, I don't want to do shots with you. And yeah. And then they're like, um, aren't you Jimmy Meets World? And you're like, uh, Jimmy Eats, what? No, yeah, no you're, on, you're not even on the right bus. I don't even care who you're trying to drink with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. There's, there's all kinds of fun stuff. I mean, I'm trying to think of a good one that I can say that, that won't upset my mother. Um, <laughs> yeah there we go I mean there are like yeah there, there's a range of stuff from like yeah like really amazing unforgettable beautiful life-changing moments and then they're like the other end of the spectrum we're like what you know I mean our band we don't like party that much but you know in 13 years you're gonna have a couple of nights where yeah things go a little off the rails and so what's know. a what's a give me one of each give me one beautiful life-changing and give me one off the rails well, wacky I'd say a beautiful life-changing one maybe it was like the first time we toured in japan that was like wow you know and and it was kind of funny i, I think i forget if i if i was telling you guys the story in portland but when at the end of that first semester at syracuse we were like okay what's going on here because school's over we were just supposed to be like a little fun house party band on campus but this is like really fun we have some momentum going so what's the next step and we're like well what do we do maybe we should go on a tour or something so we sat down, we made a list of uh, goals. And we're like, okay, so what are some goals for this band then? And we're like, um, sign a record deal. And we're like, okay. And we're like, buy a van, tour the U.S., open for like a big band. And we're like, tour in Japan. Oh, play Letterman. People were like yelling out stuff. We're like, okay, great. And we like wrote down this list. I love it, and we're, yeah. Like, and, you know, in the basement in Syracuse. And then our manager at the time hung on to it, I guess. We, you know, we never really thought twice about it. But then... Uh, like eight years later or so, he found this list somewhere oh, in his archives. So cool. And he was like, you won't believe what I found. And we looked over it and we were cracking up. And then we realized we had somehow achieved all of these, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these uh, 
ridiculous wow. goals we had set out for ourselves. So that was kind of a, a cool moment, including, yeah, like, oh, we did go to Japan. Oh, we did play Letterman. Oh, my God. Wait, hold on. We did all this stuff, you know. Yeah, so and Tokyo really cool. Tokyo is, like, kind of a game changer for you, right? You love, don't you love Tokyo? Yeah, I mean, Japan is just amazing. We've been lucky enough to go there a handful, I think maybe probably, like, six times over the years and do a couple of tours, like, around, you know, the whole of Japan, too. Um, so I think, like, realizing that we had achieved those things was, like, one of those moments where, like, you feel like you're actually actualizing your dreams yeah. somehow through, you know, blind luck and chance and yeah. some manifesting kind of determination. it and working yeah. toward it. So that was a cool moment. And then, yeah, just being in Japan the whole time, you would constantly be like, oh, we're on like the Shinkansen right now. This is amazing. Like, we're on tour in Japan. This yeah. is so cool, you know. Um, well, now it's time to set bigger goals. Yeah, well, we did we did make yeah. a second list um, after we found that one that has like hell yeah. Cool. If it's like oh my god, it worked the first time, let's keep going. Yeah, so we're like gold record. Like what else we got? I forget <laughs> what else we put on it, but extremely lofty goals for like arena tour. You know, stuff hell like that. yeah. Um, as far as like off the rails stuff, you know, um, you know, there've been innocent things like uh, borrowing golf carts after hours from the venues sure, and driving sure. them around, things like yeah. that. It was really funny actually. We're we're going back to Europe at the end of the year, which we're excited about. We hadn't been there in about eight years, I think, but it was one of the first tours we did when Kenny, our drummer, first joined the band. Um, it was like a month into him being with us, but when he first joined the band, we had just um, gone through some lineup changes, and and we felt like Kenny was a great fit and a great vibe, and we were kind of like in this place of like feeling like renewed, and I don't know, we had this new energy, but this like one night, and in Germany just like got out of control there was um blood stains on the walls of the hotel room <laughs> like it, it was Auntie just Colette full... press pause right now Auntie Colette, yeah, Colette heard the story actually recently because oh. it came up somehow and she was like what's this I hear about you getting a four-inch gash across your face and I was like I'll tell you later just rock and roll uh -huh, stuff you know Mom. just rock and roll stuff but uh Kenny Kenny broke his own ribs or broke Milo's ribs. I was bleeding all on the wall. Ribs were broken. There was, uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff like that happened. It was like we woke up the next morning and our we were like groggily eating breakfast and our tour manager just came up to the table. This was all in his room too that we did all nice. this Nice, always do it in someone else's so he room. Woke, he woke up to like this murder scene basically and then <laughs> came to get us at, at, the, um, at like the breakfast buffet and he was like, he looked terrible and he's like, we need to go now. And we were like, what? And he's like, get in the van. And then we just like sped off <laughs> to the next city. And, nice. Um, so there could be a warrant out for your arrest or not. Warrant. Just don't go back to that somewhere, town. Yeah. Wherever that is. Somewhere in Germany. Okay. Don't go back to somewhere in Germany. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we won't. <laughs> we'll find out when we get there if that's the place. Well, and it's, I, I remember too, when y'all first started, you know, I was living in Austin. I'd been in there for a while. I hadn't seen you in a while. My mom, you know, your mom's sister, my mom, your mm -hmm. aunt, my mom, they were chatting and, you know, she's telling me, oh, you know, Matt started in a band and we're, they're doing really well. And, you know, we're, I'm going to go see them in Boston. Everyone's going to go see them in Boston or Providence or something. And I was like, okay. And then she told me, she's like, oh my God, the show was so fun. Everyone had such a blast. It was so great. And I was like, oh, you know, that's nice, but, you know, it's my mom. She's not really a music person. Like, right. I'm not really, yeah. like, oh, my mom likes the band. I, I, they must be great, <laughs> you know? And then when I finally saw you, I was just like, holy crap. This is so fun. This is so great. 
Um, and also just having known you guys over the years, you're just, I remember, and you're, I, I say it now and it sounds kind of silly, but you were all just such good kids. <laughs> you know, like you were just good kids. It was just very nice. And mm -hmm. even seeing you like at South by you and I and Wes were walking around at some point and like a couple girls were like, oh my God, it's, they're, the, they're the guys from Rara, you know, and you guys are just like, hey, what's up? It was just so funny. I remember at one point, you know, threatening you. I think at some point I was like, listen, don't let it go to your head because I've changed your diapers right. and I will I keep. You. Yeah. I remember you saying that to me. <laughs> The diaper thing stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, see? Yep, do not let this go to your head. <laughs> and if any of these girls come and act weird, I'm going to be like, listen, lady, <laughs> just put them right in line like the old crotchety girl that I am. Well, thanks um, for looking out for me, guys. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, I don't know, I think it's great. It's like you managed to keep your, like, a good head on your shoulders. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, what would happen or what do you think would happen if you guys did get like the, the stadium tour or just blow up, mm -hmm. which side note, I still don't understand how it hasn't happened yet. I don't get it. You guys are so good. Well, thank you. Yeah. With the, with We're the TV trying. show appearances, busy Phillips just used your, your song water in one of her mm -hmm. Instagram posts. It has like over 2 million views. It's funny too. That came up again. She had another story where she hurt her knee and got a sequin. A sparkly bandage. Yeah, bandage. And then in stories about Busy's knee injury, they were like, just last week, she posted a video from her. So like, and they would mention us in the story about her knee. So it's like, yeah, some good mileage out of that. I know. On. Yeah. When's, what's the tipping point? I don't know. I know. I don't know why you guys aren't at that at that stage and this isn't just um because we're related it's because you're that good mm -hmm. and i keep waiting also we got to get you on busy we got to get you on her talk show mm -hmm. we're going to make this happen because you know my cousin needs to get paid yeah. busy come yes. on busy <laughs> somebody somebody help us anybody anybody all right, um, we're going to take a break to thank our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to get into your origin story a little bit because I, I just find it so fascinating how you started getting into music, right? You, you weren't originally, quote unquote, supposed to be a musician. You're going to be an athlete. You were an athlete. Mm -hmm. And it's something, you know, something happened and then transitioned into this. And then just the band in general and go from there. So we'll be back in a sec. Soreness and pain isn't always the result of activity. This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Prolonged sitting in a car or at your job aggravates muscles and joints and can cause pain. A standing desk can help. The key to alleviating the discomfort that sitting can cause is changing positions more frequently during the day. Alternating between sitting and standing at your desk, in addition to taking walk breaks and stretching, can work to loosen those tight muscles and joints. The perfect standing desk should be high enough so your computer keyboard is at elbow level and your monitor at face level to avoid neck strain. Before you start standing at your desk, take into consideration any knee or foot injuries and wear flat, comfortable shoes. This has been your 60-second wellness tip, powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. International Podcast Day is September 30th, and you can help spread the word. 
You may be asking, what can I do to get involved? It's pretty simple. Head over to internationalpodcastday.com and check the suggestions. Then use hashtag internationalpodcastday to join the conversation. You can reach out and connect with other podcasters, listeners, and your favorite podcast hosts. Remember September 30th, International Podcast Day, a day-long celebration of the power of podcasts. Okay, so the podcast is called Fun With Failure. And to me, Fun With Failure is really a mindset. At the end of the day, it's about resilience, right? So how can I get back up when I'm down? How can I turn something negative into a positive? And how can I laugh in the face of adversity? That's sort of, it's a mindset that I've sort of had to approach because I personally hate to fail and it, I would just punish myself for making tiny little mistakes or if I had plans and if my plans went off the rails, I would just seize up like one of those frozen goats and like tip over. <laughs> that's pretty much how I, I get, <laughs> that's pretty much how I get through life. <laughs> so I decided, okay, I'm in my forties now. I need to do something different because this is not working for me. So I was just like, okay forget it. Just fun with failure. We're just going to embrace this mindset. So I want to start, I want to go back to you in high school and maybe even before then, because I know that you were an athlete, you were playing baseball and hockey. Mm -hmm. yep. So when did you start each of those? Um, probably around the same time. I probably started like T-ball, you know, when I was like six yeah. or seven, but you know, I don't know if that counts. I remember like distinct, just, you know, making sandcastles in the infield kind of thing. The <laughs> ball would roll by me. Um, I think it counts. That's probably how I would still play uh, today. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a game after all. <laughs> um, but I think it was probably around like eight years old. It was probably like when I started getting uh, serious, as serious as an eight-year-old can be about, sure. about those kind of things. I've seen some pretty intense eight-year-olds, so... You know? I mean, <laughs> I started out as a goalie in hockey, and I couldn't handle the pressure. As an eight -year -old. I would like have full-on temper tantrums, like give That's up a goal, throw throw my gloves, throw my <laughs> stick. You know, like it was the end of the world because, you know, my pee wee team. Yeah, was, you didn't you know, take losing. home the game, winning, yeah. whatever. Wasn't your dad coaching also? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how you got coach. into it. Yeah, yeah. He he was the he was the one who got me into sports and explained to me you know, why the Bruins are the best and of course. this and that. But he explained to me, like, he was always good at explaining to me, like, the mechanics of the games. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, let's, oh, they're going to fight. Oh, they're going to get a goal. But it was like, why are these plays happening? What, like, the strategies were. That's so so that was, like, interesting to me early on. Yeah. It's more like chess, mm -hmm. not just a game. Yeah, yeah. So, and I know that you were playing in middle school and high school. Mm -hmm. And you had a couple head injuries mm -hmm. that wound up ending, then one that wound up ending your career. So can you kind of walk me through that? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I did have a few concussions. My first bad one was actually in baseball. Um, I got hit by a, a pitch, like in the, you know, it was like a, a errant fastball. Um, I think I was probably like in eighth grade maybe. But, you know, I turned my head away and actually hit me in the back of the neck. Basically, like, my brainstem. So, like, it didn't Great. hit the helmet. It knocked my helmet off and, like, knocked me out. That was the first bad one. Um, but then the thing was, you know, I was always, I was, like, really serious about hockey. Hockey was, like, the main thing in my mm -hmm. life, you know. Yep. My, yeah, I remember. I was obviously going to be the starting right defenseman for the Boston Bruins. Always. And be in the first uh, penalty kill unit. This was my, <laughs> obviously, what I was going to do with my life. Um, but you know, you see me, I'm like five, eight, not the biggest guy, but I was always playing in these like intense leagues like year round. And then especially when I went to high school, I was, um, I went to the school that 
could guarantee me, you know, varsity playing time as a freshman, which was great, but I was playing against guys who were like, you know, prep school, like red shirt seniors. So they were like five, six yeah. years older than me. Big boys. And at that age, you know, I was like 14. They're like 19. That's like, yeah, a that doesn't seem like a good So there were like, you know, some, you know, guys who were probably going to go semi pro. So I got knocked around a little bit. I mean, I held my own okay, but only takes, you know, a couple of, a yeah. couple of hits. Um, so yeah, and you know, concussions just now are starting to be more understood, becoming part of the right. The but culture. back then, no one was really talking about it. Yeah, and it was hard for me too because you know I'd get a concussion, go get you know scanned, get checked out, and then the doctor would be like, okay, you know, one week, no contact. But then you get the second one, and it's not like you know. Then the second one is like, okay, this time you should take two weeks off, and then you get another one. It's like this time you should probably take like a month or two off. So they sort of build up like that. Yeah. But then. Um, you know, trying to explain that to teammates and coaches who they're like, well, you look fine. Like, are you dizzy anymore? I'm like, no. Like, oh, why can't you play? I'm like, well, it doesn't really work like that. You know, it's like my brain we're talking about. And it wasn't until the last one, um, where I remember the doctor saying to me, he's like, well, you know, I passed these tests or whatever. And he's like, well, medically you're clear to play now, but if you were my kid, I wouldn't let you. And I remember when he told me that I was like, okay, well. Maybe I should give up on that Bruins dream because yeah. Know. Who so were both your parents in the room when he said that? Yes. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, it must have been just heartbreaking for both of them. Yeah. And it, had you because you had a a seizure or seizures? Was this had the seizures happened or was this after? Uh, I don't remember exactly. It was probably. It was probably concurrent, or I probably started taking the medications then. Yeah. Um, luckily, I never had like a full grand mal seizure, but I would yeah. have these sort of like um, little space out, like a basically it was described as like a short circuit in the brain where like um, you know something would misfire and I would kind of just stop talking in the middle of a sentence and yep. they'd be like, "What?" And they'd be like, "No, you were talking." And I'd be like, "What was I saying?" You know, just right, little a little like blackout. That. And people would be like. I'd sort of like come out of a space out and everyone would be looking at me. And I was like, what? You know, and they're like, are you okay? So it was like things like that would yeah. happen. Um, so yeah, I was on like medication for a few years. Um, yeah. So Well, and you couldn't get your license because of it, right? That's right. Yeah. I was, I yeah, so I was 16 at the time and, you know, you had to be seizure free for six months and I'd had a few, you know, I'd have like a little one and then like four months later I'd have a little one. So it would like reset Yeah, it just kept clock. extending. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college and I was like, well. It's too late now. I don't need a car, so. But well, and I remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you? Didn't you had like? Weren't you saving for a Volkswagen Beetle? <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> Wasn't I was, that like your dream car? I was like obsessed with Volkswagens. Yeah, yeah you had, were. Like, I remember. I would like cut them out of the auto ads. And, yeah, I remember. And, and then I, my mom told me she, he's like, she said, you know, yeah, you know, Matt can't get his license, and I was like. <gasps> The beetle. What? beetle. He's gonna get a beetle. What about the beetle? About the beetle? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so, so have you? Oh, and have you never gotten your license since, or have you? I uh, recently uh, got my license. You as did, a Matt. 30, 30 or thirty-one year old. I That's forget. That's so when I got exciting. It. And I did fail my first driving oh, test. Oh, charming! But it wasn't my fault. Oh, okay. The, it was sure. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. The guy, the guy hated me. Oh, the, that, the, the, the guy, classic, the guy, the guy hated me. Yep. hated me. Because the second time I took it, the guy was like, what did you do wrong your first time? Because that was perfect. I was like, I think the guy hated me. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's probably like, jealous because you're like, so awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Too. Yep, that's what I assumed. totally. Um, do you want me to beat him up? I totally will. <laughs> I think I might remember his name. Cause I was All right. 
Write it down after. I'll, I'll go after that okay. guy. Um, so you did get so your license. Get That's exciting. License, yeah. So I'm happy. Just ending. just in time to drive in New York. That's like yeah. you don't even need a license now. Oh, because you were in Cal. Well, you, I got you it when Cali I was upstate New York. Okay, yeah. got it. And then I actually drove like a ton in San Francisco when nice. I moved out there. But yeah, um, yeah, driving's fun. Haven't done it in like a year, but I think <laughs> but I, you could I if you remember. wanted. I am licensed too. Okay, all right. So you wind up ha- your hockey career ends, right? I can't imagine you know your parents ending or leaving that meeting and being like, "Okay, the doctor said he wouldn't let his kid do it, but we're definitely going to let you do it, Matt. Get right. in there, right?" So that effectively, after that, it was pretty much over. So at what point? How old are you? What's kind of going through your head? How did you transition from, you know, oh, my God, I'm going to be in the Bruins to, (laughs) oh, my God, what am I going to be? Who am I going to be? And then when you went to Syracuse, talk to me about majoring in art. So not only kind of so that you can kind of like meet cool musicians, but (laughs) were you doing art in high school? Were you already interested in art? And then like at just to add more questions to the ones that I just asked you. Uh-huh. When did you pick up the bass? When did you first start playing? Sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, so leaving that meeting with the uh, neurologist, you know, to my parents' credit, they were like, we all sat down and they were like, what do you want to do? And I think, you know, if I was like, I want to keep playing, they probably maybe would have intervened. But yeah. at least at first they were like, how do you feel about it? And I was like, well, you know, I don't think I should play because realistically, you know, I was never going to, I probably was never going to make it beyond maybe like a low, 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 low level professional league, if that, you know, so it was good because it was kind of a a wake up call and it forced me to sort of reconsider things a little bit earlier because this happened the end of my junior year of high school. So I was going into my senior year, I was going to be one of the captains of the team. So it was like extra hard to like pass that up. But the really cool thing about it is that I I still was part of the team, um, but I got to essentially be a student coach that year. So like that's great. That's I, cool. I, I was still on the team, you know, still, you know, part of part of everything, traveling to all the games. But instead of sitting in the locker room, I would sit in the coach's room, and we would like go over lines together and that stuff. So. And that was something growing up I'd always heard injured players would be like, oh, you know, well, it's great. You get a different perspective from the press box. But it was like for the first time where I could, uh, it was just a completely different perspective on the game. And that was really exciting for me. Uh, Instead of talking to the players about like, oh, we're going to like target this guy, like, you know, this guy who was like trash talking, you know, I was with the coaches were like, we have to neutralize. They're like, they're doing this thing on the forecheck. We need, you know, so it was like, I was getting like a different. More strategy. Yeah. And getting to like run the defenseman side of the bench a little bit um so I started learning a lot and it was it was really really fun and it was just a different perspective I never would have gotten otherwise so that was that was kind of enlightening um and yeah so around that time you know I I had always been interested in in art and music and it was funny because like in the with all of like my sports friends I was always kind of like maybe like the the weird one or whatever the one who liked different music or you know who liked art at all yeah um and then amongst my like art friends (laughs) I was like the only one who like played sports or like you know they would make fun of me for being a jock my like jock friends would make fun of me for being like an artsy guy right Um, meanwhile most people would just call that (laughs) well-rounded but I prefer the term (laughs) renaissance no yeah Yeah. so I always kind of had my 
my foot in like both of these doors a little bit. And so that just gave me more time to like focus on that stuff, you know? So like I wasn't going to like summertime hockey camps yeah. or like off season training camps and stuff. So I had an opportunity to indulge the art a little bit more. I was taking like advanced art classes in high school that last year, working on like my portfolio. Cause I, I knew I wanted to go to art school anyway. Um, and then, yeah, so it was around that time. I did get my base a little bit before I stopped playing hockey. So maybe on some level I sensed there was going to be a sea change at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, put into motion with the concussions and stuff. But I got my first base at the end of my freshman year. So sophomore and junior year, just learning how to play base, still playing hockey. But once the hockey ended, then I could sort of dive in more and you know, start trying to be in a band and, and practicing a lot more instead of practicing hockey. Yeah. But yeah, it was a really hard transition because, you know, hockey was my life and it's something I loved very, very much and still do. And to be told that you can't do it anymore when like physically you feel totally fine. You know, right. I was like 16, you know, I could skate really well, do do everything well. I could get on the ice and feel fine. But to be like, oh, it's a pro an invisible problem in my brain that's right preventing me that was that was hard to deal with it wasn't like I was in pain when I was on the ice you know I felt fine but all it would have taken was one little bump and then I could have like really ruined the rest of my life so it was hard to put that aside but I knew I had to and then for like for the next like four or five years all through college I like didn't watch any hockey I didn't follow the Bruins you know I had to like sort of put it on a shelf because it was too it's too hard a little too sad um but, uh, but another cool thing that came out of it is so much of what I learned from sports is so hilariously applicable to um, being in a band and, you know, and functioning in that environment. And I've talked to other musicians about this before who are similar to me who grew up being really invested in sports, but because of the discipline and the teamwork and the knowing your role, all that kind of stuff you can bring that to the music world and be like an effective uh, bandmate. Um, yeah. So, so that was good. You know, I get to use that, but, um, yeah, it's really about being part of a team. Yeah. Knowing your role, you know, yeah, when not, to come in, when to take the lead, when to support, when to back down, mm-hmm, yeah. how to compromise, all that stuff, how to make other people look good. Yep. And it's not about you, but like you need to be the, do the best that you can do. You don't have to do everything. You just have to do what you're supposed to do yeah. really well. Yep. And yeah, it's all about the trust too. You know, if I like, if we're doing this play and I look up, I know you're going to be there to get this pass. Same thing. Like if I'm playing well, I know like you're going to hold up your end of the bargain and play. It's all about like trust, you know, because it's the same thing in hockey and in music. When you get on the ice, when you get on stage, you're just like, you hit the ground and you're sprinting as fast as you can, like holding hands with your teammates or bandmates. And you know, if one person stumbles, you're all going to go down. So you just have to hope that you're in like lockstep all together. And it's like a lot of trust, a lot of role playing and stuff. So, so I think, you know, that helped still feeling like I was part of a team and, and all that stuff. Um, so wait, yeah. Did I answer everything? So the, yeah, yeah the transition to Syracuse was yeah. basically, yeah, you know, I could take a lot of what I learned in sports and apply it to this new passion. And it, it was very, very helpful. And I'm still finding ways where like, it's, you know, lessons I learned from sports still fit. So I definitely don't regret anything at all. I think if I was a parent, it would be hard for me to sign my kid up for those kind of sports. Right, you know, yeah. n- and nothing, you know, at all against my parents. Again, like, I, I would oh, not change a single thing. Yeah. You know, I would, uh, you know, I just learned too much, too many good lessons from sports. And 
you know, if you can get out of that world without being like a total like testosterone, like meathead, <laughs> you know, you can, you know, there's a lot you can pick up from sports yeah. that are you know, really good lessons in life. Yeah. Having worked with a lot of student athletes also over the years from teaching college. And I just had a, a coach come on. He's a, the head swim coach at Queens and mm-hmm. he's won the last five championship champion division two championships of the year. Like he's a, for the past couple of years, he's been the head, the head coach. He's won like the award for head coach for the men and women's team. And mm-hmm. he says the same. I mean, he says there are so many lessons that you can learn from sports to apply to different things. Mm-hmm. And then, well, going back to your first tattoo also, you have re-embraced. At some point, you were able to go back and re-embrace the Bruins because that was your first tattoo. That's right. First and only. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were able to go it. back. Yeah. After a few years, I was like dipping my toe back in. And then it's been full on ever since. So, yeah, took a little break from it. But now it's, like, still a huge part of my life. Yeah, we were, ta- we were talking earlier about how when we start talking about Boston sports, the accent oh, just comes through. Here it comes. Here it comes. Forget about it. And it's okay to swear in a Boston accent on air because it's, like, part of our nativism. You have to. So you have to. Be, uh, yeah. It's all part of it. It'd be unconstitutional censorship <laughs> to believe about these Swears. Chowda. Huh? Chowda. All right. So you're have moved past hockey. You're at Syracuse. You're playing the bass. You start this band. You're just gonna be a house band, but it turns into be into something really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then sort of fast forward a little bit, you wind up getting signed, or you're about to be signed, or you're getting signed. And the band is hanging out one night, mm-hmm. and, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm not sure on the timeline of whether you had been signed, you're about to be signed, or you already were signed, and your drummer passes away mm-hmm. during a tragic accident. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, you know, this idea of going through it, you know, all of a sudden you, you have already gone through this these major injuries with the head trauma and the seizures and you're still on the seizure medication at this time and you found your calling and you're doing this thing you love and all of a sudden it's like you're right you guys are right about to skyrocket mm-hmm. and you know John dies so what was going through your mind at that point and how did you as a band really process that and work through it together uh yeah i mean you know it was and still is the the you know the craziest most awful thing i've ever had to deal with in life um and uh yeah just you know as you get older you know you you get a little more acquainted with death i guess you know when you're younger it's like old relatives maybe or, or an old elderly neighbor, someone you didn't know too well. And then, you know, as you get older, it gets closer and closer. But then, you know, that one really jumped and went so, you know, close to my life. Um, Yeah, you guys were like immortal at that point. You're just like, everything was in front of you. And yeah, we had just, or we were in negotiations with uh, a couple of labels at the time. We ended up signing with them. But yeah, it was, it really was right on the cusp. It was right after that first South by. And yeah, yeah, things were just like on the up and up. But the the really the hardest thing of all to to deal with, you know, aside from losing a friend, which will always be awful, but 
John was like, I'd never met anyone like John, and I, I still don't think I have, but he was like, you know, just just like a powerhouse of of positive, mm. positive energy and and creative energy. Like one of the most intoxicating things about about meeting him, and again, you know, I met him right at the beginning of the band. Um, he could just come up with harmonies on the spot, and like that was mind blowing to me. That was like some like alchemy, where like he could like yeah. harmonize on the spot. He could. He was like one of the best songwriters I ever knew. Like so prolific, and all of this like energy and and positivity coming out of this this human. And you know, it just seemed unbearably cruel and unfair to me that out of everyone I knew, of course, it was this person that this happened to. Not that, you know, someone else I knew deserved to die or right, anything. Right, of course, but, you yeah. You know, it was just like, it just seemed... It's like, how can that bright light be gone? Yeah, it was just the most unfair thing I could ever think of. And, yeah, it was just unfathomable. Like, yeah, I just don't know how else to explain it. It was just beyond all, you know, I had just no way to to process it. Yeah. You know? And, and, and the, the nature of how it happened to where he had gone missing and there was this like excruciating yeah. two day search, Waiting. you know, just the happening in slow motion, just living this, this nightmare. Um, and it's really crazy too. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about looking back and reflecting on the past 13 years of the band. Yeah. And like, I personally only knew John for a year and a half and that's like mind blowing to me because wow. he is one of the most influential people in my life. And, you know, we still think about him when we are writing and arranging songs and, yeah. you know, um, you know, sensibilities of his that we learned and, and absorbed in the band still exist. And yeah, he, he just was such a big part of like that point in my life transitioning into this, this, you know, chapter or whatever. So to the idea that I only knew him for such a short time is crazy to me. But um, it's so poignant how sometimes people that are just in our lives for such a short amount of time can make the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still it's funny. I still think about him too. I remember when it all went down, and you know, and my mom called me, and my mom was talking to your mom, and everyone in the family was trying to figure out because we had all known, like, oh, you know, they were in negotiations or they're about to be signed, and. I had seen the South by show and I had met him and, you know, and it was part of what we were talking about as a family was like, yeah, like they're processing it. They're, they're trying to figure it out. They're processing it. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know if they're going to sign. They don't know if they're going to move forward. They don't know if they're just going to give up. They don't know what they should do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I just kept thinking, I would imagine that it's such a wonderful way to honor him by bringing his music to life and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's essentially what we decided on. But in the immediate aftermath, we you know we canceled the next like months worth of shows yep, right yeah. off the bat. Um, and we sort of like we probably didn't even have to verbalize this, but it was just sort of an understanding that like you know no one even talked about the band for like the first two weeks. Like oh, our manager yeah. was like, yeah, yep. we cancel everything. Like. We'll figure this out later, of course. So you know, yeah, we were nothing, dealing... nothing matters at that point. Yeah, so, nothing matters. You know, and probably on some level, we all assumed you know the band was, for all intents and purposes, you know, not ever gonna um, be a thing anymore, because uh, in our mind, you know, you know, the band without John was not the band. Right. And and definitely to me, you know, when I think of like what raw raw riot is, I think of like, you know, in a way that lineup is like 
you know, that's what it was. The original but lineup. Anything after John, you know, is just a different version of Raw Riot. Um, but that was like, you know, the the soul of the band that like, you know, when, when we all came together. But so, yeah, so over the, you know, so it was like unfathomable to, for us to continue without him. Um, but then we started thinking about it more and more and all the stuff that we had worked on together and all the beautiful songs that he had written. Um, we felt some sort of like duty to like honor that and to continue it. And we would have thought it would, it would have been, um, yeah, what's the word? It just would have been almost disrespectful for us to, you know, we were saying to let the music, you know, um, disappear from the world also it would seem like a, an additional tragedy on top of what already happened. Right, because he left um, behind this beautiful stuff. Yeah, and I'll never forget um, a good friend of ours, uh, Stone, who was really close, very, very close with John and Wes in college, because John and Wes knew each other before the band. Um he was he was speaking at um, at the memorial service, and he was like he was like we all had plans, we all had grand plans that we made with John, you know, myself included, and I know everyone here. We all had grand plans, you know, because John was a dreamer and a doer, and he's like, so you know, it's up to us now. It's gonna be harder because like John brought a lot of the energy and the creativity and the spark. He's like, but we all have these plans, and like we all have to like see them through. And I remember we at that moment I was like he he's absolutely right, so yeah so we eventually decided we we had to keep going and it was unbelievably painful like the first few rehearsals we couldn't get through a song without someone breaking down and walking right. out and yeah. the first show we played was just about a month after and actually that was another one of the biggest crowds we ever played to it was really sweet it was in New York City it was like a free summertime concert but like I think like eight six or eight thousand people showed up which was wow. like insane and there was all this group you know it was just extremely 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 emotional and, and painful process but yeah. you know we knew ultimately it was felt like the right thing to do and you know so yeah we just looked at it as like a celebration and a continuation and it was like a small role that we could play to make sure that a part of john's legacy was still like celebrated and and shared and spread around the world well, I think it's great that um, what you said earlier about how you still think of some of his sensibilities and they're still in the music now, mm-hmm. right? That's another way of sort of keeping him and his memory alive is through the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I learned so much from him too because like coming to the band, I was self-taught. I didn't know any theory. And John was like this really impressive songwriter, but he never, ever made me feel like inadequate or anything. He always was like celebrating what he thought was maybe like a unique approach to the instrument because kind of because I didn't know what I was doing, you know? And I, I have like all these memories of, of he and I sitting down together and he was like, play a song and I would like come up with the bass part and he would like, yeah, just sort of like teaching me, but not as like, you know, from like... A hierarchy. Yeah, it was yeah. like, a co- you know, a cooperative, collaborative thing. And so, you know, he helped me not be afraid of not knowing what, you know... Um, that's huge. Yeah, and That's it was huge. things like that. And, you know, we would drive in the... He would give me rides all the time because he also was from Massachusetts. So, like, he would pick me up at my parents' house. We'd drive to, like, a gig together. So, you know, we'd listen to music. We He would, like, teach me how to, harmon, how to harmonize, how harmonies work. We'd sing together in the car. So, you know, it was, like, yeah, a lot of what I learned was from him. And it was, like, now, he like, you know, in a way, it was, like, passing the torch. Like, I'm not worthy, but at least I am, like retain some of what, you know, he was and 
um, another thing, he like loved craft beer. He made his own beer. He was all into beer. Oh, like, wow. Before that was yeah. like, a, you know, a huge thing. That's great. So he got me into that too. So then like, you know, Milo, our guitarist and I got really into beer after he passed away. So like, you know, we would go to a store, get all these like nice bottles, like taste them, compare them, think about them in sort of as like a, an homage or like a celebration. So like little things like that, that live on, you know, things that he enjoyed that we can still try to celebrate. That's great. But we'll, we'll talk about that after the show. So thinking about the music now and the new album, what is, what are some things that you're excited about? Or is there a particular song that you're really excited about? Tell me a little bit about the new album and what we can expect. Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, the song is a little different for us. We try to do something different each record. Um, which is natural anyway, you know. Never, sure. Even if something went well, it's never fun to be like, oh, let's do that again, you know. So right. every time we, we sit down, we're like, well, what's the approach going to be this time? This time the approach is dictated by all of us having moved out of the same city, you know, to all different cities. You know, a few of us had day jobs, so, like, the scheduling was all different. So this album was put together really modularly. But for all these different reasons, too, we just had access to um, a whole new group of, like, co-writers, songwriters, producers, and stuff. So um, we'd been wanting to make the jump into, like, poppier realms, but sort of felt like we hit the ceiling of what we could do on our own. So, you know, we wanted to work with these more pop-oriented producers uh, and songwriters who could take our song and be like, oh, it's really good, but, you know, maybe the chorus should do this instead. So we just started meeting with, like, doing writing sessions with all these different people, seeing what felt good, seeing what didn't work, and then sort of honing in on these different little pockets. So... The album was recorded in like three day chunks, three to seven day chunks over like a year, maybe even a year and a half in like oh, wow. all these different cities, mostly in LA, but Seattle, Beacon, Oakland, Milwaukee, New York City, you know, just wherever we could fit it in. So that helped us be like less precious about stuff, approach everything yeah. with more enthusiasm, be like, okay, what are we doing here? You know, if it doesn't work, who cares? We've got this other session next week. Um, so I think this album is like our most dynamic album we've made yet. It has like the poppiest stuff we've done. Um, but then we had these like really popular things that were like, okay, well these can be the singles. Now we can get a little weirder on the weirder stuff. So we did like self-produced <laughs> for like some of the songs yeah. that are like grittier and more lo-fi than we've done before. So it, fe oh, it feels like fun. a really I'm interested good in checking mix, that out. Yeah. yeah. So there's like, yeah, seven or eight producers, maybe like 10 or 11 different songwriters represented on the album, which is like super fun. We learned all kinds of new tricks and yeah. So it feels like, you know, I always say, like, whatever the biggest leap you took on the previous record should naturally be, like, the jumping off point for the next record. That's yeah. kind of what this one felt like. So, yeah, we're really, really proud of it. We took our time making it. Um, but it feels like a, a very dynamic record. Well, good. I'm just already picturing the TV shows and the movies that are going to be licensing here. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully they'll line it up. <laughs> line it up, and then you can hit it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right on the lands down street. <laughs> Oh the monster. Come I on. could do this all day with you. <laughs> Chow up. <laughs> all right. So I just want to finish up with um, a couple questions. One, what's your definition of failure? Ooh, great question. I think, you know, failure, and I know that's what this podcast is about. Failure is great. And I also have a fear of failure, too. That's what my, you know, Zodiac always tells me and stuff or whatever, you know. But, you know, no one really Taurus. enjoys. Yeah. Classic tourist. Classic Dis tourist. Disdainful of failure, apparently. Um, well, it just warms my heart that we both hate failure. Uh -huh. 
and, so great. and Chris, my sister is very much like that too. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, nobody really enjoys failing, but failing is great because, um, it's the best learning experience you can have. And we, we joke about this in the band all the time that we've been doing it for so long and, and, you know, we, again, grateful for all the success we have had, but we're like, what's the deal? When are we going to like break through? And we kind of laugh at all these other bands lapping us. A band, a brand new band shows up on the circuit and then two months later, they're like headlining festival. They're like way bigger than we are. <laughs> and then they like end up being a flash in the pan. Yeah. But we're still chugging along. So we're always like, you know, slow dime, slow dime. Um, but, you know, we've learned a lot. And I think we're lucky that we didn't get a mountain of success immediately because yeah. that would have changed everything. It would have mm-hmm. changed the expectations. It would have changed how we work. It would have changed our approach. So Yeah, you could have been a total... Uh-huh, yeah. But you're not, and I really appreciate oh, well, that. Well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> not yet. Hopefully someday I'll get to be. I know. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah, we're just chugging along, you know, and uh, yeah, every failure, every disappointment we've had in the band has uh, just, you know, fueled the fire, so to speak, a little bit more, and, uh, you know, yeah, that's what it's all about is learning and growing. So a failure is um, a subverted success, I'll say. Okay. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your biggest flaw? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I, I'm really, you know, I don't think this is, I don't look at it as a flaw, but I understand that it, it is also in a lot of ways, but I, I am always very much in the moment, which is very hard to be, and it's something I really try to be, and I, don't do any social media and I don't do any of this stuff. And I think it's, it's good on one hand, but it's very difficult with my lifestyle to like keep in touch actively. And that's something I'm like really bad at keeping in touch with friends and family. And, you know, and all of us in the band have significant others that we live with. We all live with our significant others. So, you know, to be able to, you know, you just have your brain in all these different places and, and maintaining all these, you know, really important things. That's something I've always been, I've always been bad at, um, you know, just being in my own world and sort of forgetting about things that aren't right in front of me. Yep. And what are you afraid of? Um, I think I'm probably most afraid of, uh, you know, wasting whatever little time we have. And again, to bring it back, you know, to John a little bit. You know, that was like, you know, a real wake up call for someone so young and talented to, to, um, you know, just go away like that. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, the days when you're sitting around and feeling lazy, you know, which are also important too, but you know, you, you never want to feel you're like taking time for granted and yeah. always want to try and, you know, even if you sit at the, you sit down with your you know, bass or guitar for a few hours, nothing comes out of it, just to be proactive, trying to be creative, trying to work on stuff. Um, Because, you know, like I said, you're only the cool young band for so long, and then one day you wake (laughs) up and you're suddenly the old grizzled road dogs. And and I know, you know, it could end at any moment, and before you know it, like, you know, we're all going to be, like, in our mid forties and you know, we can't, God do, this, forbid. can't do this forever. I know. God. <laughs> I'm going to punch you so hard right now. <laughs> I'm going to punch you into I'm the glad next you room. Got on that, yeah. <laughs> our, um, I, I, I saw your gray hair. Don't even front. I a lot. Someone in the band, I won't say who just, um, hit a milestone birthday. 
that starts with a four. And, you know, so welcome like, to the club, whoever we're like, we're you really are. We've got a few good years left. We've got to really make a move now. You know, but yeah, I am going to punch you when we, <laughs> when we end this. Yeah, so there's not a lot of time left. But yeah, Great. trying to make the most of it, you know. Well, I am so glad that you decided to spend some time with me today. This has been great. It's it's funny because, you know, like we don't see each other all that often. Mm -hmm. You're touring. I'm living here. Our family's back there. Mm -hmm. We don't always get back at the same time. So it's nice when, you know, I really appreciate that you're a rock star because when you come through my town, we actually get to hang out, uh -huh. which is nice. And like you're saying, <laughs> twice in a week now. This is I know. Like more this than is bananas. Last, like, two years. Seriously. Great. So, yeah, thank you so much. Time is precious. And I think that... Um, it's a really great thing to be conscious of and aware of, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me today. Well, it was my pleasure. I'm glad we finally made it to yeah, Charlotte. And I know. yeah, thank you for having me because, yeah, it was great to talk like this. And thanks for listening, everyone, because, you know, we're just here having fun, catching <laughs> up and gabbing. I know. Um, so this is, yeah, super fun for me, too. Awesome. Well, if you're interested, you can find out more and follow, uh, uh, follow up with Rara on their website. It's rarariot.com. Our website is funwithfailure.com. You can follow us on Twitter at funfailpodcast. And you can follow Rara. They're on social media, Instagram, Twitter, oh, yeah. All the Facebook. Things. Spotify, iTunes. Follow us everywhere. Yeah, follow, follow, follow. Peace. Play, play, play. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. All right, until next time, go have some fun. You can follow us on Twitter at FunFailPodcast. And if you have questions or suggestions about upcoming guests, sponsorship opportunities, or just want to say hi, our email address is fun at funwithfailure.com. <laughs> <laughs>